Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you done? I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield. What are you doing down here, you showing me, man? It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Owen and Ken. How are you again? Good, Owen. How are you? I'm pretty good. I don't think there's a more panicky feeling in life than that feeling you get when you realise you're in the middle of falling asleep somewhere where you really should be awake. You just know there's nothing you can really do about it. I'm sure you've been through it. Maybe in school possibly at mass, often somewhere that you've gone to out of duty rather than out of any great sense of excitement. You catch yourself once, think, well, that's okay. I'm going to get through this now. I mean, I've I've caught myself. I'm hardly going to allow myself to fall asleep now. Then you're gone again, only to be saved by the sniggering of some of your peers, maybe some classmates or somebody along the the pew there in the church. Uh, They can see what's going on. They think it's hilarious. Well, surely the threat of public humiliation will be enough to stop it from happening a third time. But no, you go again. And this time again, you know it's real. You're right. Spare a thought for Ken Early here, who had to sit through the FAI's AGM on Saturday. Ken, did you stay awake for the entirety? I think I did. <laughs> that usually means you didn't. Well, it's hard to say sometimes. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever been on a plane or something, and, and you're kind of dozing, um, but you you're not sure if you've actually slept. How long were you asleep for? Oh, I think twenty minutes. When nobody really knows. Flight took three and a half hours. I mean, you know, I barely seem to notice that time going by. So I don't know what that means. But you know, I mean, I think Ryanair is particularly bad for that because of the angle that you have to sort of rest your head, which I think actually <laughs> slightly interferes with the blood flow to your brain. <laughs> so there, there may be a hypoxia element uh, as well as the, uh, the the possible sleep element. But I mean, I was I was looking at the, I was sitting there. I mean, at some points probably about two-thirds of the way through the meeting, I kind of wondered, is there some kind of a carbon monoxide leak into this room or something? I mean, why, why, is, why am I so drowsy now? I mean, I don't, is, my, is my skin turning a little pink? I'm not sure. Um, it, it, was, it was when the, the, the various chairmen of the FAI committees, of which there are quite a few, were listing off their uh, kind of... Well, they'd, they'd kind of stand up and say, I'm X, the chairman of Y committee... I want to introduce you to the committee. Here's my criticism of John Delaney. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no. Uh, It was more a case of, this is what we do, and this is what we've been doing, and I want to thank everyone. 
uh, for what we've done. I want to thank John Delaney. I want to thank the sponsor. I want to thank Dennis O'Brien for their for their generosity to Irish football and uh, kind of maybe go on a little bit in that vein and sit down. The next person would come up. And a lot of it was like that. I mean, there was a bit more to it than that. Uh, there was a couple of uh, couple of presentations. There was obviously John Delaney's speech, a couple of videos. Um, so, yeah. We're going to talk through the FAI AGM, Ron. It won't take as long as the actual FAI AGM, but it will, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Well, let's kick into Ken Early's report on sport. We'll get to that, but first of all, uh, we just want to mention James McLean. Uh, James McLean, uh, now, of course, with West Bromwich Albion. Uh, I wonder, does he know what the word Albion means, by the way? Because uh, I'm not sure if he did know what that word actually meant, that he would have necessarily signed for that club. I mean, do they have that word on their... Do they have that word on their um, badge? I'm not actually sure if, if it's on the badge. Do they have the word Albion on the badge? Maybe he'd want to just rip off that piece of the... Cut out that, that small section of the shirt and just have play West Bromwich. I mean, it sounds neutral enough. You know, West Bromwich. I mean, this is because um, McLean was uh, playing in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, there's, I'm just having a look, and there's a very, very big Albion. I mean, you can barely see the West Bromwich above the Albion. It's a small little West Bromwich, and I would say Albion, if, say if the West Bromwich was a, a 12 font, Albion looks like something around 32. Oh, well, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just rubbing your nose in it, really, isn't it? Albion. You know, and that's, that's what people, uh, that's a kind of, a, you know, an ancient word for, for Britain. You know what I mean? Mm. No messing there. Mm. No no disputing who you're representing, who you're fighting for when you pull on that shirt. Um, the reason that this has come up again is that James McLean was playing for Albion, ironically enough, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, which is a, a part of the world in which recently we've seen some disputes about flags and history and their meaning and all that sort of stuff. And it's a place of divided loyalties, you might say. Maybe not that divided. Maybe the laws these all run in a particular, or mostly run in a particular uh, direction in South Carolina. But anyway, they're playing in South Carolina against um, uh, Charleston Battery, and uh, uh, this is this is preseason friendly for West Brom. At some point, they play the national anthems. Well, before the game, why do they play the national anthems? Well, because you're playing in America, and they always play the national anthem before a sporting event. It's just like a thing they do there. So I suppose the Charleston Battery probably thought that they were being polite to West Brom by playing the, um, you know, God Save the Queen. I mean, their own national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, is all about a war against Albion, uh, <laughs> as it happens. Uh, the rockets red glared, the bombs bursting in air. Uh, those rockets and bombs are being fired by English uh, troops who are attacking the United States. I think it's the War of 18... 18- 12, or I, I don't know whether it's 1812 or 1776, but one way or the other, um, that's the that's the history of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, for some reason, the Americans figured, you know, all these years later, it was okay to nevertheless play God Save the Queen, just as a gesture of respect to their visitors. Well, it's only fair, I guess, if they're, they're going to play Star Spangled Banner. You know, and um, James McLean... As, as all the West Brom players uh, turn 90 degrees, face left and, uh, you know, hands behind backs and pretending to show respect for the Union Jack. I mean, probably all just chewing gum and thinking about whatever. You know, I, I doubt too many of them are, are meditating on history or, you know, can say, you know, isn't it great the way that we as Americans and, you know, 
employees of a British football club were able to come together here and forget all about the unpleasantness of the War of 1812. And You know, we burnt the White House. Or, well, not us, not we. But, you know, the, the British soldiers burnt the White House, you know, and they've, it's good that they've been able to get over that since, uh, since all that. Um, but they, they all turn. I don't know how much it means to all these West Brom players. You know, James Morrison. I think James Morrison. I think I saw him in the photo. You know, he's there. The God Save the Queen, of course, has a, has a verse specifically devoted to how... And uh, they, they, you know, was it, what's the name of the guy? The guy there's a character in God Save the Queen who's going to go up and crush the rebellious Scots, you know, eradicate his people. Mm-hmm. Not that he's uh, too bothered about it. James McLean, however, uh, turns to the, realizes what's going on, turns back around facing the, the original way and bows his head, I have to say exaggeratedly, as though he's uh, at some tremendously sad funeral. And, uh, you know, hands behind his back. And it's a very ostentatious gesture of I'm not going to go along with what everyone else is going along with here. So, as you can imagine, the reaction on Twitter hasn't been very good. Uh, James McLean being compared to Abu Hamza. (laughs) Uh, You know, various other such figures. However, I have to say that although... I mean, uh, previously, whenever this 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 whole thing has, with McLean has come up, you know, his dairy roots is has come up in in regard to the the annual Poppy Day. Um, I was going to say celebrations, the Poppy Day thing that happens every November um, in Britain now, where everyone is supposed, everyone in the public sphere is supposed to, is supposed to wear a poppy, ostensibly as you know, so that. You know, the Kaiser, you know, to, to thank the men who, who fought the Kaiser. But in reality, it's more, it seems to be more of a kind of a, a militaristic kind of a festival now. Everybody supposed, there's a kind of enforced conformity to it now. Everybody has to go along with this thing. And really what you're doing is kind of glorifying the British army. Um, you know, I kind of, that's what I kind of feel about that tradition now. McLean has always refused to go along with it. And... It's caused him a lot of problems. As we know, you know, Sunderland and Wigan and whatever clubs he's played for, whenever this comes up, every year it comes up, every year he doesn't wear the poppy, and every year people go, whoa, what are you doing here, you know, if you don't? And and he kind of points out, look, this poppy means a very, it's a a symbol which means something very different where I'm from than where you're from. He's from Derry, you know, there's things, certain things happen in Derry. Yeah, he was very eloquent in how he explained it I think it was when they pu- he published the letter that he had written to Dave Whelan who was chairman of Wigan explaining why he felt it's essentially yeah. exactly what you said there but he he wanted that to go public and so Wigan made it public and I think that actually won him quite a few if not admirers certainly maybe got people to back off a little bit it gave a bit of context and it's at least a footballer talking about what he believes in and what his background is but it's, um, because um, it's a it's a it's a principal stance and to be honest i it's a principal stance that i admire him for because i do think that the the poppy day remembrance day has lost whatever original originally it was like an anti-war uh, kind of uh, not not the poppies as such but the whole idea of remembrance day was like oh this is terrible you know let's remember how terrible war is so we don't go to war you know foolishly or lightly because, you know, it's, it, it, it results in a really bad outcome, always. Um, but this poppy thing is more, oh, they, you know, support our troops. Well, now it's kind more, of the opposite. Yeah, and it's not just that. It used to be something that was a, a positive in the sense that it's something you subscribe to and uh, felt good about doing so. Whereas now in the UK, over the last 10 years or so, it seems, it's turned into this thing where, you, well, you better subscribe to it or else... Yeah. What's your issue with us? Yeah, yeah, which 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 kind of takes away from the the sort of voluntary nature of the action. It's kind of a conformity thing. It sounds like you feel differently about this. Well, this is this issue. is this is ridiculous. 
This national anthem thing is just stupid by James McCain. If he feels that strongly about it, I actually agree with the people on Twitter saying, Why, what are you doing here? What are you taking our money for? Does he use cash? The Queen's face is on all the cash. Does, does James McLean have to wear gloves when he, when he pays f- with cash for something in the shop? Or does he just use a credit card? <laughs> I mean, it's insane, this. Because this, this is like, this is not just, oh, my principles. This is look at me. Look at me. Oh, I don't know if it is. Oh, it is. The national, the, a, a formality, empty formality. An empty formality for, well, if it's being played, it's almost by definition. What is he doing in be? England? What is he doing in England? If if, if this is such a big up, deal for him? he's he not didn't even sign up to, he he's not sign, even prepared to res- pretend to respect God save the Queen and the flag like everybody else in the stadium is doing. He didn't sign up to become a professional footballer under the understanding that he was going to be lining up to, for the British national anthem. A lot of people, a lot of people make their living in a country. It doesn't mean they have to again subscribe to everything that that country is about. And particularly James McLean. I don't know if it was. I don't know if he was trying to make a look at. I I would imagine James McLean would have preferred if just the anthem wasn't played and he didn't have to. He felt he didn't have to do what he did, as opposed to it being played and him. I'd say he'd be more concerned about what people at home but might think if they, if they saw him standing there why, observing it. What, what, what are they going to think? James, no one even would have noticed. There's, there's James McLean observing the British National Anthem. I'm sure some so of the people it? from his neck of the woods might have had an issue. Well, what, well, well, I don't understand. If you can't just pretend to respect the National Anthem for the sake of politeness like everybody else, if you feel that strongly about it, why are you living and working in Britain? Why can't you play in, in the League of Ireland? Why can't, or why, why not go to France? You know, the French sent, they tried to help us out in 1798, you know. They uh, they weren't much use as it turned out. But, you know, the the, the, the intention was there. Well, La Liga. You, you've got to write. Did they, did they not try write, to help us at Kinsale, you, you know, against against Albion? You've got, uh, a right to, you've got a right to earn a professional living. Yeah, no, but he doesn't. Yeah, but you've got a right. Of course, I'm not, I'm not disputing his right to earn a professional living. But I'm wondering why, if he can't even just em, or observe an empty formality, if he has to make a point against no, the but you keep national saying, anthem, yeah, you do why keep saying, England particularly? Why not go play in Sweden? Or, you do keep saying an empty formality. I think... It is in, a totally in, empty formality. It's I, a national James, anthem at a sporting event. In James McLean's head, I don't think observing God Save Our Queen would feel to him like a... Based on everything we've read on his piece, would feel like an, em- would all feel like an do- empty formality. All he's doing is just standing there with everyone else. It's not like we're asking him to do a Nazi salute here. You know, it's not like it's like the Queen giving the Nazi salute. That's not what we're talking about. You know, the England team giving the Nazi salute in the 30s. Did the Ireland team do it as that well? That was the photo of the Queen as a child giving the Nazi salute. We should we should be taught the Nazi salute. We should just... Uh, well, the Queen, the Queen did give it, did give a Nazi salute. I mean, I, I can't see, I don't understand why this is such a controversial thing. I mean, it's pretty obvious to what side the royal family were coming down on in the in the thirties. You know, a lot of a lot of the sort of better sorts of society kind of felt the same way at the time. You know, it was only it was only later, obviously, they, they realized that was uh, they realized that wasn't uh, wasn't the way to, to go anymore. But you know, that you know, a, a guy who, who maybe doesn't do that. I mean, that's. That's uh, that's maybe a principal stand. This, you know, you're not, and again, you're not talking about guys. You know, say if in England, I think all the England players did do the Nazi salute. They just sort of out of politeness, they did the Nazi salute when they, when they played you know, Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. If one of them hadn't done it, uh, if one of them hadn't done it, you would have think, you know, looking back, that guy would have been wow, it's a great principal stand. But what if that guy had been playing for like the Luftwaffe Elf? You know, what if? It, you know, this this guy who refused to do the Nazi salute had also been like the star striker for like the team that Hermann Goring was the chairman of 
Right, would that have seemed a little bit weird? You know, hang on, on the one hand, you make this, you make this point, you don't agree with the regime, you refuse to observe the formalities, even just for the sake of politeness, because you feel there's a bigger cause there. On the other hand, there you are playing for Hermann Goring's team in the Nazi German League. Right, getting paid in Reichsmarks. Mm. Is, there, is there an inconsistency there? I think there would be, actually. I honestly think there would be. You know, I think if you feel that strongly about it, then don't live there. Really. Because it, the poppy thing is, is a different thing. The poppy thing is kind of a... More people should stand up against that. The anthem, pff, that's it. You're, you're making up... You're singling yourself out. You're setting yourself up as some kind of a... I don't, I don't even know what point. I'd love to hear him write another letter. I want, to, I want, oh, yeah. I want another That's letter explaining why, explaining why he is, is, is unable to do as everybody else does and just observe this empty formality. Has he seen, by the way, Martin McGuinness hanging out with the Queen or Jerry Adams shaking hands with the Prince of Wales? Has he seen any of that? That stuff that's been happening over the last, you know... <sighs> what, 15, 16 years? I'm sure he has. Thing? Maybe he's not a big fan of all that happening. I don't know, Ken. Well, maybe he's not, but at some at some point, I think he's got to address the disconnect between playing for Albion and, you know, it just, it just, I mean, always when this thing has come up, I think it's totally unfair the way he gets singled out for the public thing, but this is just, come on, he's, this is, he's, you're singling yourself out here, and I think, I, I don't really get the reasoning of this one, so please, McLean, let's hear, let's have a, uh, a reason explanation, show your workings uh, on this one. Speaking of showing your workings again, you're at the FAI's AGM. The FAI AGM was down in Sligo. And uh, the land of heart's desire, as William Butler Yeats so memorably described it, as, as was mentioned uh, in the first, by the first speaker, Rossidino O'Grady. And, uh, of course, Yates turns out, wasn't planted in Sligo as he, as he wished. That was a story over the weekend. And they just apparently dug up any old bones and sent them over to Sligo. And said, uh, "Yeah, we think that. Yeah, no, that's 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 oh, Yates. No, I missed that. So they just buried they buried this uh, random collection of bones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, really uh, not a good weekend for Sligo. So no, I mean, they're hammered by Mayo in the football. Absolutely. Someone, <laughs> someone mentioned that to me on Twitter. It's like, uh, why have you forsaken us, <laughs> Lord? Why have you forsaken us? But uh, no, I mean, it's not as if the FAI AGM was bad for Sligo. Oh no, that was probably quite. There was the festival of football." All week, Martin O'Neill was there, Ray Houghton was there, John Delaney obviously was there, uh, and a lot of the FBI top brass from around the country, and the medium brass. <laughs> um, so what, what happens at this AGM? Well, you know, the, the, I mean, there was, there was stuff happening on Friday. First of all, Martin O'Neill was there. Um, I wasn't there on the Friday. But on the Friday, Martin O'Neill spoke to journalists, and, and it seems Martin O'Neill is pretty keen to stay on anyway. Uh, he originally signed a two-year deal, although the FAI wanted him to sign a four-year deal, it turns out. Um, and now I think even if we don't qualify, he would be quite keen to sign to, to extend to the... He said, you know, I don't think you can really maybe get your message across in two years. I think Martin O'Neill probably expected the first two years will qualify for the tournament. I mean, everyone qualifies for this one, right? Of course we'll qualify. Is there even a qualification group? Um, I mean, it was before the qualification group was drawn, I suppose. He, he did mention the fact that an ideal group would not include Germany because at some, at some point they're always going to um, qualify, you know. Um, so, so it kind of it, it reduces the, the number of places. But, you know, so it seems as though he's keen to stay on, I mean, which, which removes a little bit of the doubt about it. You know, he's, he, may, he mentioned Leicester did make an approach to him. They asked him, you know, what's your situation? He said, I'm the manager of Ireland, I'm not interested. And uh, and that was that. So 
you know, I guess uh, I guess Martin O'Neill probably is going to be a manager for the next couple of years because looking at it from the FBI's point of view, I mean, unless, you know, we were to lose all the rest of our games and it was to be a disaster, you know what I mean? And then people might be like, well, hang on, should we, should we really be keeping Martin O'Neill on? You know, assuming that we have a respectable performance, I guess he'll stay on because, you know, if you're the FAI, looking at it from their point of view, finding manager isn't the easiest task. No, that, assum- that assumption, though, that we won't have a disaster, eh, it's an assumption. Uh, the the, the spirit, potential for disaster the is there. Disaster is there. The spirit, it's, in fairness, the spirit has been decent for most of the time. A couple of the late goals have proven that, but one more bad result and you might start worrying about, uh, well, I wouldn't worry too much about Gibraltar, but certainly about, uh, about the other games. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, those two games will be fine, but there is the possibility of getting hammered by Germany and then away to Poland. You know, you never know. So, uh, all that said, I still think the FAI will probably stick with Martin O'Neill because they basically trust him to the extent that they wouldn't back themselves to go out and find somebody better. You know, uh, if if they were in position to do so, the FAI has got money to throw at potential candidates, but not necessarily a very attractive job for they them are, to do. They are in a better situation than they've been in in other moments like this. Though there's no severance package to deal with, for example. Yeah. So you would think that they're in a position to at least have a look. If Martin O'Neill is having a chat to Leicester, albeit he says that he said told him he was unavailable, is it are the FAI within their rights to throw out a few feelers quietly? A possible replacement. Well, I mean, you know, for the way that Martin O'Neill tells it, Lester got in touch with and him. He said, "Forget about yeah, it." Yeah, he can't. What can he do? I mean, he he's got to answer his phone. Well, he doesn't actually have to answer his phone. But you know, yeah, you're going to answer your phone, and then if they contact you and they're like, "Oh, you know, we just want to inquire as to your availability," and he says, "Sorry, actually not available." All the best of luck filling that position. Can you blame Martin O'Neill for that? I don't think so. I don't think you can. Um, should they put out feelers? I don't know. I mean, I guess the FAI should always be be thinking about, um, you know, what, what what direction we should be taking the game. Uh, on the other hand, um, finding manager is, is not uh, as easy a, a task as all that. Um, so what happened to the AGM? Uh, the actual AGM started around uh, midday on Saturday, mm-hmm. um, introduced by Rosina Grady from Sligo County Council. Uh, she talked about how um, this is the heartbeat of the soccer community here. So you looked around, there was, well, I think 129 was the number of delegates there. Mainly middle-aged men, some of the, some older men, and not very many women, but there were there was a smattering, let's say. Um, uh, the heartbeat of the soccer community in Ireland. These people are, you know, from kind of clubs and, you know, various football affiliates or whatever John Delaney's word is from around the country. And then at the top table, you've got John Delaney, the FAI board, who are like the chairman of various committees and so on. And uh, so it starts off, and, and for the first kind of bit of it, it's, a lot of it is the kind of stuff that you kind of think, this, you can put this in an email, you know what I mean? There was Tony Fitzgerald, the president of the FAI, kind of listing off the sort of stuff, you know, that you would that you would have in a press release. Mm. Uh, he, thanked, he said, what a fabulous array of sponsors. 25 sponsors, I think it was, the FAI has. Now, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of sponsors' names. Also, Dennis O'Brien, whose continued generosity to Irish football is simply exemplary. Um, so there was uh, then there was the minutes. You know, are these minutes accurate from the last meeting? Any uh, and the first this happened for the first time. Are they accurate? Um, can we have a proposal or a second or a couple of people? Me, me, propose and second, and then uh, all in favour. You know, hands up. You know, anyone against? 
that was the first time that happened. And every single time there was a vote, there was never anyone against. Oh, really? Oh, never. Never anyone against. I mean, just everybody agreed Hmm. on the various times things were put to votes. I mean, mostly they were kind of formalities or whatever. Um, Anyway, then it comes to John Delaney. Uh, John Delaney gets up uh, and he starts off, first of all, thanks to everyone, you know. I uh, spend every weekend visiting clubs around Ireland. I see that same, enth- the enthusiasm that we have here. Uh, talked about the direct contact between him and basically all of Irish football, uh, which allows him to make informed decisions. Uh, you know, you go out and you meet the clubs, you meet the people. I mean, I, I imagine John Delaney has met everybody in, in that room. You know what I mean? I, w- I wouldn't say there was many of them there who John Delaney hasn't visited at some point uh, and hung out with at their club and maybe given an under-16 international to, I don't know. You know, he's uh, he, he he is pretty good at that type of local, personal politics. You know, this is what he, this is what he does. Mm. He's a master of this. Um, uh, and, you know, his, the, the audience was, I wouldn't say hanging on his every word. It wasn't really that kind of speech. Uh, but, you know, the audience is clearly um, uh, kind of pro, a pro-Delaney audience. So we went through, like, the, the achievements of the FAI over, over the 10 years he's been CEO, and then more recently of the, of, the, uh, of the year just gone. I mean, it was a challenging financial year, as you know. There was only one competitive game on in 2014. That was against Gibraltar. One competitive home game. There was four friendlies. So, you know, challenging. Um, but uh, talked about the debt. He, he kept using the phrase mainstream banking. Uh, Saw that. Yeah. Yeah, excuse me. The FBI, um, you know, will they're always seeking to reduce that debt, as you know. Debt is now forty nine million relating to the Aviva Stadium, um, uh, and so basically, uh, they restructured their debt. It ha- was originally with Danske Bank, who had been National Irish Bank, or they took over National Irish Bank, but then they they have restructured that, obtained a write off on the overall sum, but obviously the terms of loan are changed, and it's with the U.S equity firm, you know, US equity firm. You don't necessarily think friendly low interest rate mm-hmm. when you hear the phrase US equity firm. Um, uh, and John Delaney said, we, we will be looking at all the options, you know, going forward for our, you know, our debt restructuring, including mainstream banking. So what he was saying, well, the equity firm has done fine by us so far, but we might look a little bit more. Well, the equity firm is more of a boutique type banking for, you know, customers with special needs. You know, say, for instance, a customer doesn't have any money right now, but wants to, has clearly has the intention to pay back and the, and the wherewithal to pay back the money. They just need a little bit of a helping hand. Uh, a boutique financial services might come in and say, OK, you know, we, we understand your position. Here's a bridging loan or whatever. And then you can pay it back at 10 percent a month. Uh, I'm not suggesting that the FAI's deal is, you know, with a money lender for 10 percent a month. Well, no, that, we, we don't that, know. That would, that would be. That would snowball pretty quickly, I'd say. We don't, uh, as Evan Malone mentioned today, we have never actually heard the terms of that repayment. Mm. There, people have often wondered why it is that they this firm came in and decided to write down write down the debt quite significantly. Mm. Uh, the fear might be that then there would be quite a high repayment rate of of the debt that remains, but we don't know the answers to that. We don't know, but they are looking looking at returning to the mainstream. After this sort of uh, left bank experience that they've that they've been having, um, but you know, uh, so Delaney talked about you know blah 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 blah. You got to the interesting part of his speech. I mean, because a, a lot of it again was kind of a list of achievements. Literally, a PDF would have been the better way to to deliver this. But um, the interesting part kind of got to uh, 
he started talking about, you know, the redevelopment of Dalyman Park, where his emotional memories of watching Waterford win the FAI Cup in 1980 when his dad was the chairman. Um, and then he, uh, so he says, uh, much has been made in recent years about what happens at RAGMs. Uh, some observers would suggest that all decisions and debate should happen here in one day out of 365. I think he was probably talking about Emmett Malone, among others, uh, when he said that. Um, the fact that people have been going to these AGMs and been, uh, you know, as Bryce said, almost nothing seems to happen apart from just a bunch of unanimous votes and no discussion, just a bunch of presentations. Um, and Delaney kind of made the point that, um, you know, all around the country, that the imagine the, the FAI is a living organism, uh, and all around the country, this living organism is making decisions on a local basis. It's not a case of you know, every all the decisions and all the arguments happening here at the AGM. It's those those decisions are being hammered out all over the country in meetings every week. You know, so by the time it's sort of you get to the AGM, it's kind of the work has been done. You know what I mean? So it's just it just remains to ratify everything that's kind of been been going on during the year. That was kind of his point, and uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, that you know, subsidiarity is an admirable kind of principle in a in a big organization like that. Although, how big an organization is the FAI really? It's actually an, it's actually a small organization. By the standards of organizations, it's like runs football in a small country. Actually, maybe the FAI is one of those organizations where it should be a central authority kind of saying, okay, you know, we've got like this guy Rude Doctor in, for instance. We'll get to Rude Doctor. You know, he's got like a plan. This is how we need to be doing things. And then has the power to centrally enforce that across all the football in the country. Germany is a country of more than 80 million people, and they've got that kind of football association, um, you know, essentially a football association that can enforce on all the clubs. It can, they, they can turn around to Bayern Munich and say, this is how you're doing things. Bayern Munich might like it, but they can't do anything. They just have to obey. So you're saying it's not ideal if it is the case that essentially clubs and leagues make their decisions, have their conversations, and then come to the FAI for some rubber stamping? I'm not saying that it's necessarily necessarily bad but what I am saying is that if you've got this uh, idea that you want to sort of roll out a uniform philosophy in playing style which is something Rude Doctor the last speaker of the AGM referred to then then maybe it is bad because what you've got is differences regional differences local differences you know you've got local fiefdoms you've got the, the guy who's running the running football in this parish and then the next parish up the road might be doing it slightly differently you know what I mean you've got John Delaney in personal contact with all those people and when they turn up to the AGM, they, they all, uh, they will applaud him. In fact, he got a standing ovation for his speech. Now, in France, the, towards the end of his speech, he started to get, he became a little bit emotional, I thought. He was talking about how next year the FAI AGM is going to be in Tipperary. And John Delaney grew up in Tipperary, or a large part of his youth was spent there. And he talked about how falling in love with the game as a little boy, taking Wednesdays off school to go and watch our national team. And his father, obviously, was was involved in the FAI at that time. So he, he's always been a kind of an FAI. It's been a, the Delaney's have been an FAI family, a big, the, the sort of Lannisters of the FAI. And he, um, uh, he, he, you could hear his voice kind of quavering a bit as he talked about his family, you know? So he was kind of, you know, he, he was, uh, which is something everyone can relate to. And as he got to the end, he said, you know, I see that we're, you know, basically don't mind all those, don't let the, the critics grind you down, let's say. We, we're a confidence organisation. We're an enthusiastic organisation. The warmth of the room here, the warmth of the room last night, 
confirms to me, you know, what I already know, because I'm traveling around, I see you all, and I know that everybody here loves our show, but we all love each other. We're united, we're confident, we're proud, we're the FAI. And the place rose, yeah, you know, it was everyone giving him a big ovation, you know, so it was stirring stuff. You got to see, this, this is the operator, John, this is John Delaney in action as a kind of, if you, if you want to know why John Delaney is still running the FAI 10 years on, this is a pretty good demonstration. What a rude doctor. Have to say, I know he's talking about a common uniform philosophy for underage football in Ireland to uh, quite a funky backing track. Yeah, uh, Santana. He chose Santana. Uh, let the children play. Well, he was rude. I should mention Declan Conroy. Declan Conroy is the second last speaker. He got up and and he's he's doing a big um, report. There was the finance stuff as well, but you know they didn't say anything in the finance meeting that you can't read on their website. Although one thing that I would notice how frequently they refer to UEFA. Uh, and how frequently uh, confidence in the financial future of Irish football is based on the fact that UEFA are going to, UEFA are coming. The help is on the way. You know, the, centra- the cavalry in the form of the centralized TV contract will save us. You know what I mean? Not save us, because that would suggest that, you know, we were in trouble. But, you know, it seems as though that's the kind of big help from outside financially is like the big positive. In the, in the financial future of Irish football, as, you, as, as we're looking at now. Declan Conroy got up. Uh, he's done a big survey into the League of Ireland. Um, and he... Uh, Electricity League consultation, as he says. So 175 people he spoke to, 91 interviews, 20 clubs, 104 administrators, six managers, sponsors, media, soccer writers, FAI League staff, government, UA for referees, PFAI, and 1,500 submissions from the general public fans. So, you know, a wide range of sources. Um, topics include governance, club and football structures, marketing, promotion, community and volunteerism, commercial, financial, league structures and governance. Um, and, and, and he was essentially saying, here's a few things that came out of it. Um, why are people, the, the current structure of the league, what can we do to improve it? The passions and tradition surrounding the league, obviously a huge positive but at the same time, are, are they maybe holding back progress in certain areas? Maybe more so the tradition than the passion. Um, tra- the football product. And he referred here to an article by Joe Malloy uh, in The Independent where Joe had gone along to... Uh, essentially, he said Diane McDonnell had been badgering him to go to the League of Ireland game for a long time. He eventually did. And guess what? It wasn't that bad. Uh and so, Jack and saying, you know, the football was good, the burger was fine, the atmosphere was good. What Joe actually said was, um, you know, if it's, if it's a warm summer's day, I'm not saying if it's raining or, or something like that, you know, but why not? You know, if it's a Friday evening, you've got nothing better to do, be aware that there's also football on. You could go and, you could go and see it. And Jack and Conrad saying, you know, this is the kind of positive press, you know, that, that, we, can, that we can maybe get. Um... He went on to, to, you know, so he talked about, you know, why is it acceptable to be negative about the League of Ireland? You know, um, what, what, you said, trying to, trying to get into that. Now, he didn't really, his report is due in the third week of August, so it sounds like it might be interesting. You know, there might be some, some stuff might come out of that. So we'll get to that, I'm sure, in August when he's done the report. He's, he's, he's working away on that now. Finally, it was Rude Doctor. He got up. Uh, Rude Doctor's uh, gave us a slick enough presentation, um, different from some of the ones that we'd seen up to that point, some of the, the speeches. Um, but he said, uh, you know, he gave, he was talking about uh, football development around a uniform coaching philosophy and playing style. I'm not sure how that necessarily leads to better players, to be honest. Uh, but what he's talking about more, I think, is, is kind of uh, fostering the, a kind of coaching environment where 
Um, essentially, it's all about children needing to have free expression or a space for free expression and spontaneity because that's how they learn. That's how they kind of learn good stuff. Not this kind of, um, you know, rigidly organized, rule-bound, winning-at-all-costs kind of stuff. We want them more to be having fun, having fun, free expression, spontaneity, recreate street football, you know, in a safe place. Uh, and then he said, in fact, we have a video which sums up our philosophy of, of, uh, of player development. And so the video started, and it was Santana's song, Let the Children Play. And literally, the only words are, you know, Let the children have their way. Let the children play. Let the children play. So that's repeated loads of times, you know, and there's like a Hammond organ, and it was, you know, it was a stone groove. Like, everyone was kind of attentively watching this screen. And on the screen, you could see the kids, and there's some, you know, there's some kids who seem to be pretty good. One of them dribbled the ball past the guy, Dribble it out of play, back in, smash it in, ran off celebrating. I thought, that's out of play. Comes back to Rude Doctor. He goes, well, as you heard, the philosophy is let the children play. And you thought, ah, yeah, so there was a connection between those words and the philosophy. So that guy's not getting pulled. He's been awarded that goal despite it not being legitimate. The guy's getting the goal because you saw he took the ball out of play. Nobody cared. It was like, just, yeah, just go on. It's about having fun. It's about... It's cheating. Not, it's, no. <laughs> it's about cheating. Maybe. It's about getting goals through nefarious means. We will. No matter how young you are. That's how Irish football is going to go. When, when Ireland qualifies for the 2022 World Cup, thanks to a Thierry Henry type piece of quick thinking <laughs> by one of our players, we can think back to Rude Doctor and Santana and think, and think to ourselves, you know, the good doctor, he set us on the right road. Do you want a brief word on any of the transfers going through? Um... Well, Benteke deliverable should be going through uh, today. Um, Good signing. Well, I mean, is he? The question is, is he better than what they already have? And I think the answer is probably yes. I mean, he's there. There is another question in terms of is this is he worth the amount of money they're paying for him? Which is pretty much exactly what they get for Raheem Sterling. I mean, I know Sterling was supposedly forty nine and Benteke is thirty two and a half, but actually, it's only forty of Sterling. Which uh, for forty million of the Sterling deal, which is guaranteed, the rest is add-ons. You know, if City win the league and Champions League or whatever, and then another eight million goes to QPR because they had a twenty percent uh, deal on the sell-on price. So thirty-two million, which is exactly what they're going to be paying for uh, Benteke. I can't imagine it's not. It's more than a coincidence that the that the sums match up like that. Um, I don't think Benteke is as good a player as Sterling in terms of potential. But he is uh, a player who could add something, I think. I mean, it's, I think it's interesting that Tim Sherwood gave all the reasons why this deal shouldn't happen in public over the last few months. He's like, well, you know, he's great on crosses, Christian. They never cross the ball. Well, you know, I don't really understand how it would work there for Christian, frankly. So he was giving specific reasons as he, opposed to hands off our player. He was like, tactically researched work, yeah. reasons why don't join Liverpool, Christian. They're not the team for you. And of course, Liverpool had a recent experience with Andy Carroll where they signed a player for around the same type of money who, you know, didn't really fit in with the way they were trying to play, and it, and it didn't work out. So um, there's that, there's, uh, you know, there's what else? Um, Walcott's looking for a contract more than 100 grand, you know. Good luck to him. <laughs> good luck to you, too, Walcott. You know, I think, yeah, probably deserve more than 100 grand, do you? No. I don't, no, I don't think he does. <laughs> but maybe Arsenal will decide he is, and if they don't, no one will care. All right, that's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? 
he could run FIFA. Certainly better than Zach Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible, but the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, with one or two expletives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do. And that was it. With one or two expletives. And I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds, and I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there was some expletive used, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for FAI, right. and we've used the figure there. Well done to you. Marshall Wade, Ken. Marshall Wade was the name of the man who was crushing the Scots. Would you like the verse? Yeah, why not? Let's hear it. Lord, grant that Marshall Wade may by thy mighty aid victory bring. May he sedition hush, and like a torrent rush, rebellious Scots to crush. God save the king. Well, there are always some rebellious Scots to crush, Ken. I mean... Yeah, um, there there have been from time to time. <laughs> They've uh, spilled over south of the border and always been driven back. Now they're just crushed politically. Well, they I mean, the rebellious, themselves. The rebellious Scots <laughs> crushed themselves in, yeah. uh, in, a, in a fair and democratic manner. Yeah. It's just the way it's Looking at it, can't, can't argue with that. Um, but yeah, you know, okay, James Morrison. I suppose he was born in England, so maybe he doesn't... Although James McCain, well... James Glenn was born in Britain, so let's not get into this zone. Before we go, I've got a nice little bit of news to share with you as part of their celebration of 10 years of podcasting. It's great stuff. iTunes have announced their 10 essential podcasts from that time. Uh, some really, really good ones in there. And we're delighted to see the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast is keeping them company in the 10. So it's iTunes 10 favourite podcasts ever, really. Uh, we're in there with the likes of Serial Football Weekly, Guardians Football Weekly, in our time with Melvin Bragg, which I know is a particular favourite of yours, Ken. Oh, yeah. I don't know if anyone else listens to In Our Time. I've been listening to that for quite a long you, time. Many years ago, you mentioned that to me, yeah. Mm. As a, you tipped it up. I just like listening to Melvin Bragg, and he's kind of getting more and more tetchy. And, uh, I never. I must confess, I never fully got into it. I think mm. it was one of those ones I gave, I gave, I didn't give enough time to. Maybe I, just, mm. I didn't catch the best episode first. Yeah. You know how it is a podcast. It's quite a brutal world. Out there. Well, I'll tell you the best episode. Um, okay. It's uh, it's the one on the consequences of the industrial revolution. I think that was a two parter. Actually, owned. It's from about four or five years These are ago. Histo- it's we're talking history here. I presume. I mean, that sounds like it's an historical podcast. Well, it's no, it's 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 pretty much everything owned. It's uh, I mean Melvin Bragg, sort of. Uh, uh, acts as though he knows everything <laughs> about, about pretty much all different, uh, pretty much any subject under the sun. But in this particular instance, uh, it was on the consequences of the Industrial Revolution and Melvin Bragg got really angry. I mean, he does sometimes have a tendency to not listen to guests. Would it be unfair to say he's less likely to pay attention to a guest if the guest is female? That might be unfair, although it is a point that some people have, have made. Uh, but in this instance, it was a female guest who was giving some uh, explanation as to why Britain surged ahead. Uh, James McLean's old friend, Britain, surged ahead in the, in the, in the years of the Industrial Revolution. And um, she was given various explanations along the lines of, well, of course, it was coal. That helped. Um, very, You know, that, that type of explanation, you know, you try and look for big uh, social, big economic, big geographical uh, forces which may have uh, which may have uh, helped this process to happen, and Melvin Bragg got very angry. He was like, "Well, what about the what about the English people? What about the 
the spirit, the, the you know, the 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 intelligence, the sort of the ideas, the spirit of the age among the English people. Is that you, your explanation doesn't seem to have any room for that. And she was kind of saying, well, with all due respect, Melvin, you know, I think that's kind of stupid. And uh, I think it was the best ever episode. Right. Just got just got very, very tense in that studio. So now that we've pushed people onto other podcasts, a reminder that our one is also in there in the uh, iTunes Essential 10 listens from 10 podcasts from the uh, decade of podcasting so far. So thanks very much for all the support since we kicked off just a couple of years ago. Feel free to rate the podcast on iTunes or leave a comment there. It all helps. That's assuming that it's a glowing and positive comment. All you constructive critics out there, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Just don't say a word. We're, we just want glowing stuff here. You can't say something nice. Yeah, exactly. Don't say anything at all. We have another show to come out later today, Monday, and that's going to be a good bit later than usual because as we record, Potter Carrington and the amateur from Grey Zones, Paul Dunn, are both in contention in the final round of the Open. My prediction, they'll go to a, a playoff, which will go to about four or five holes and end up finishing somewhere around 10 o'clock tonight. The, just the two of them. Maybe Jordan Spieth involved to spice it up a little bit. So whenever that's finished, we will uh, bang out our second podcast for you. Thanks a million, Ken. Thank you too, Owen. Thanks for listening, and thanks again for all the support. We'll chat to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.